Welcome to Deuteronomy study number nine in chapter nine, verses one through 29. Lord willing and the church don't rise as we give out our hibbeli hala out to Joanne Laning. Sister Joanne, here's your hibbeli hala. And we're glad to have you listening and appreciate your uh, input. And uh, we've received prayer requests. We invite all of you, anytime you have a special prayer request, just uh, send that to bbfohio at protonmail.com. Uh, but if you have questions, other things, feel free to contact us. We'll get with you as soon as possible. On occasion, I might, it might be a day or two, and there's been a few times where it was a few days. But then, uh, I and I apologize to a couple of you saying, yeah, well, it, for me, it was longer than that. Every once in a while, that gets to the spam box. We don't know why. If you send us a message and you don't hear from us for a few days, send it again and make sure we're getting it. Um, anyway, that's just a public service announcement. <laughs> Along with our hibbeli hala as we get into our study in Deuteronomy chapter 9 with a word of prayer. And Father, we always want to ask for your help. I appreciate the help and all that you teach me, helping me to form thoughts and take notes and share this information that I've gleaned with your help and uh, teach others. They then can take what they learn here, continue reading and studying, and the Holy Spirit will show them many things that I do not even mention. It's a wonderful relationship that we have with you because of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through your Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Moses, in chapter 9, continues with what I called was sort of a preamble uh, we discussed in chapter 8, um, reminding Israel in this chapter of God's grace and their own sinfulness, and to always remember that they have not earned or deserved what God's giving them. Actually, it's all in spite of them <laughs> that God blesses Israel uh, for the most part. Uh, I mean, there have been some good guys throughout Old Testament history, good Jews in the church over the last 2,000 years, um, uh, but they're the exception to the rule. And, um, you know, God's blessings, as we'll see, he'll say, it, it, they are recipients, the Jews, the Hebrews are recipients of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in spite of themselves, just as we are recipients of the blessings of God through Jesus Christ in spite of ourselves, not because of ourselves. We don't deserve any of it. So with that, let's jump into verse 1. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day, to go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven. This is great, but you'll recall that the first go-around, four decades previous to this, uh, didn't go well, even though they were given the same promise. And Moses now reminds them of that in verse 2, saying about these people that they're going to take their land from, in verse 2, a people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest, and of whom thou hast heard say, Who can stand before the children of Anak? <laughs> so, Moses tells us two things here. 
First of all, these are among the nine-foot-plus-tall giants that scoffers pretend not to believe in. They know they're real. I believe everybody knows these people existed. And uh, there's some very interesting stuff. You go out and research it. That uh, There's some evidence that's been found to, to demonstrate this in archaeology, uh, also in history and other histories uh, outside of the Bible. But there's evidence that the Smithsonian and others have hidden or destroyed a lot of evidence because it goes against the uh, narrative and they don't want people to believe the Bible. If you believe the Bible, you tend to not believe Darwin and the Darwinian cult. So, and by the way, uh, giants. In Hebrew, it's Nephilim, but we're English, so we'll call them giants. And also, Moses is reminding them, he said, that of whom thou knowest and of whom thou hast heard say, who did they hear that from? Who can stand before the children of Hanak? Well, that's what the spies said 40 years earlier. The grandparents and possibly parents of some of these people were involved in that when they freaked out in fear and rebelled against God and didn't want to go into the land. They didn't trust God to give them the victory. So Moses is going to put things in perspective here. Verse 3, Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire he shall destroy them and he shall bring them down before thy face so shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord hath said unto thee you believe in God and all is well but don't give in to your doubts and don't think it's American pride or in this case Jewish pride uh, that wins the fight it's not how the Jews, the Hebrews were such great and mighty people, proud and, you know, that's not it. Uh, we ought to sing, bless God America, uh, you know, uh, because God blesses America. And it, that's why we're, we are what we are and why we're losing everything. We'll get back to that in a minute. But verses 4 and 5, he says, Speak not in thine heart after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. Not, verse 5, not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you just don't forget that. It's not that you're so good, Hebrews. It's not that you're so wonderful, Israel, because you're not. It's because, basically, two reasons. Uh, the people that you're dispossessing are just much more wicked than you. And their wickedness have reached a place where i got to kick them out of the land. And on the flip side, it's because of my word. I gave my word to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you're going to benefit from that. You know, when the not-so-good Europeans came to America, they found nations of Christ-rejecting indigenous people um, when the missionaries came, some of them got saved, but most of them didn't. And now fast forward to today, modern Americans are experiencing the same sort of thing as not-so-good illegals are overrunning our borders. 
and our wicked leaders are allowing it, that's all just a symptom of the disease facing this godless, wicked, sodomite-loving, baby-killing culture and nation that we live in. And uh, people, any people, anywhere, had better understand this. They reach a certain point, and God's going to kick them out and replace them. Uh, verse 6, Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it, for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. Uh, one of our memory verses that Jenny and I have in our stack um, expresses this idea that Moses is discussing. Psalm 9:17: The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Another great memory verse, Proverbs 14:34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And with that, Moses will remind Israel of its national failures since the time of the Exodus from Egypt. Verse 7, Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness, from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt, until ye came unto this place. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord. From the exit ramp coming out of Egypt till the time we pulled up in the parking lot in front of promised land, <laughs> they've been rebellious. Uh, verse 8, Also in Horeb ye provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. Uh, Horeb, remember, is Mount Sinai. As Moses continues, verses 9 through 11, uh, when I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord God made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. I believe that's by supernatural ability. Moses was given the ability by God to go forty days and forty nights without food or water. It's, that's the only explanation for it. If you go a few days without water, you die of dehydration. People say, well, how can he do that? Well, there is a thing called miracles. There is a God. He's a God of miracles. That explains it. All these questions you hear from people are answered with two words, but God. <laughs> um, but we continue. Uh, verse 10, And the Lord delivered unto me, this is Moses speaking, two tables of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. Verse 11, And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. And if the story ended there, it would be nothing but glorious history. <laughs> but that's not where it ends. Uh, it's a wonderful event, the giving of the law. He's got the law, the Ten Commandments, on two tables of stone. In verse 12, And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. <laughs> so as God's giving the law, and this amazing event is taking place at the top of Mount Sinai in Horeb, the children of Israel turned to an inanimate object of their own creation. 
and it was a cow of all things to worship. He said, it's crazy. That's stupid. It's no more stupid than Americans who create a God in their own image. They ignore what God says about himself in the Bible, create their own images of God in their head. It's just as stupid and dumb, but it's just as typical. Uh, verses 13 14. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 14, let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. So with a, just basically a clean slate from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just through Levi down to Moses, would be the only stream of the chosen. And then with Moses is where the whole family tree would start all over again, just like it did uh, with Abraham and like it did with Noah. The whole, you know, humanity started over with Noah. Sort of the same idea here. And it could have ended for the rest of the nation right there. And the first time you read that, you think, wow, what's going to happen here? Is he going to kill everybody and start over with Moses? I didn't know. I'd never read the Bible before I got saved. But, I mean, I'd read, you know, never read through the whole Bible. I'd read parts of the Bible and that kind of thing. But Moses left Sinai uh, at this point and went down to the camp, uh, the, the campsite, as he continues retelling the events in verse uh, 15. So I turned and came down from the mount, and the mount burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands. Um, just imagine the scene. Hollywood has never captured the moment. Uh, don't look for the movies to help you with the image here. So we'll stick with the picture of the words of Scripture uh, that's painted in our minds. And then Moses said in verses 16 and 17, And I looked, and behold, ye had sinned against the Lord your God, and had made you a molten calf. Ye had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. In verse 17, And I took the two tables and cast them out of my hands and break them before your eyes. The originals were turned into broken shards. <laughs> and Moses begins another 40 days of fasting and prayer to plead for the Lord to spare them in spite of their sin. Verses 18 and 19 says, And I fell down before the Lord as at the first. Forty days and forty nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water, because of all your sins which ye sinned, in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Verse 19, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. Moses understood how offensive this whole spectacle was to the holy God of Israel. God spared Israel because of his word, and for his glory, but credits Moses with his intercession for the people of Israel as well. But God doesn't just wink at the sin of rebellion. So there are, and were, in this case, consequences. Um, and then he starts dealing, well, here he talks about him dealing with Aaron in verse 20. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I prayed for Aaron also the same time. Um, so, like the nation, Aaron could have been destroyed. Um, but Moses appealed to God on his behalf and forgave him. And then Moses takes care of that stupid cow statue that they were worshiping 
in verse 21, And I took your sin, the calf which he had made, and burn it with fire, and stamped it, and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. So the gold was worth an incredible amount of money, uh, even in that day. But the gold had been used for such a wicked thing that Moses just pulverized it and dumped it. Now he didn't mention in this account that he made the rebellious Hebrews actually drink some of it. According to Exodus 32.20, it says, And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. That's quite a statement of how useless that stupid idol is. Of course, in our Isaiah studies, and as you read through Jeremiah and elsewhere, you, you constantly see you know, how ignorant and stupid the whole idea of taking, uh, making something and then calling it your God. It's just insane. <laughs> um, but let's continue with Moses who now mentions um, some of the other locations where the Hebrews displayed a rebellious spirit toward God. Verse 22, and at Tabera, and at Massa, and at kibroth Hetaava. Ye provoked the Lord to wrath. Verse 23, Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then ye rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and ye believed him not, nor hearkened to his voice. So that brings us full circle to what he was mentioning in verse 2, whereby so afraid of these giants. And they didn't have faith in God to do what he said he was going to do. It's just amazing, uh, you know, to think of God saying, if you will go in there, I'll take care of things, I'll protect you, and they didn't even believe him. <laughs> but, you know, there's times in our lives where we don't operate in faith and don't really live trusting the Lord and trusting his word, so uh, we're, we'd be hypocrites to condemn these folks too harshly. Um, but who can stand before the children of Anak? I don't care, fill in the blank. Who can this and who can that? If God says he's going to do something, who can stop God? Who can keep God from... God isn't going to rapture everybody out of here. That's crazy talking. It would be, except we're talking about God. I don't believe in a place called hell. I don't believe a loving God would throw people in hell. Well, the loving God said he would. So get over it. And on and on the examples could continue. But verses 24 and 25, Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Verse 25, Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. So again, Moses is in fasting and prayer for forty days and forty nights, begging the Lord to spare this stiff-necked people. You know, it's important for us to recognize it's not the first time we come across it, but just to emphasize that Moses is acting as a mediator here between the people and God, and therefore he stands as a type of Christ. Uh, if you go to Deuteronomy, uh, we're going to see in Deuteronomy 18 um, that there's a, the prophecy um, in verse 15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, Moses is saying. 
And if you look at that verse, the prophet is capital P because it's referring to God manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel. But he says, like unto me, and that tells us that when we see things like this, there's times where Moses pictures the coming prophet with a capital P. This is one of them. He stands as a mediator. The, some of you know your Bible already enough to kind of, you know, sends off the signals there. Wait a minute. I remember somewhere, well, it's 1 Timothy 2.5, where it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Moses is picturing Jesus who stands as a mediator between God and men. We can't approach God in our flesh, in our sin. Even saved now, we're still in our fleshly sinful bodies. We still have a sinful nature. But we approach the Father through the Son, our mediator between God and man. He's the only one. You don't need a priest. You don't need Pastor Greg or anybody else between you and God. I'm not here to stand between you and God. I'm here to stand with you and help you learn about God, help you to learn and grow in your relationship with God. But I'm not in between the two of you. No pastor or preacher should be and is supposed to be. Also, Jesus is called our advocate, and that's Moses again plays the advocate here. He's, he's advocating for the Hebrews, and Jesus in John Let's see, 1 John 2, 1, we read, it says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Um, advocates are attorneys and lawyers. Uh, uh, that's the thought here, but uh, he's our perfect, sinless uh, attorney. <laughs> he's what all attorneys should be. He's our representative the living word, our righteousness as declared in God's written word. So Moses stood as the representative for the Hebrews, declaring God's word as the sole basis for God's mercy. Look at verse 26. Uh, we, we read, I prayed therefore unto the Lord, there he is, his mediator, and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Now, Moses is making a three-point appeal found in each of these verses. The first point he makes is in verse 27. Remember thy servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. In other words, he's not saying God doesn't deal with sin, but he's saying you made this promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's God's word in his covenant is point number one. Point two is in verse 28. Lest the land whence thou broughtest us out say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he hath brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. So point number two is God's glory in his purpose to bring Israel to the promised land. For that, those two points. And then the third point is verse 29. Yet they are thy people and thine inheritance, which thou broughtest out by thy mighty power and by thy stretched out arm. So the third point is that they're God's people. You have God's word, God's glory, and God's people are the three points Moses gives in this prayer of intercession as a mediator and advocate between God and the Hebrews. God's people is his inheritance, meaning his possession. And we belong to God. We've been brought, bought with a price. He treasures us even though we fail Him. God is so gracious and long-suffering and merciful. But one day when His plan is complete, 
Israel will be a glorious nation ruled by King Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, from the Nile to the Euphrates and the full length of the Mediterranean Sea down to the tip of the Negev Desert. It will all be the nation of Israel under King Jesus. And in that day when his plan is complete, the church, we who are saved and part of the church, will reside in the massive New Jerusalem, the city, New Jerusalem, that he's gone to prepare for us, John 14. 1 through 3. We will rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years and then go into eternity in which our minds can't even imagine what he has in store. And Moses is appealing to God's plan, God's word, God's promises, and that's what we rest upon. We want to live for the Lord. We want to do right. We don't want to sin, but we don't rest our assurance on our own actions. We rest our assurance on what Jesus has done to save us, that his word is true. He says we are saved. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. If you have the Son, you're saved, and you have this wonderful future. We don't understand God's plan, and when we don't, all we have to do is remember these things and know that everything God is doing is part of his plan, which will end in his glory filling all of creation and we will be in his glory in his presence sharing in that glory and forever living uh, in his blessing <laughs> meditate on that for a few hours and uh, that's all we got time for this time